there is hope because I'm alive. And especially seeing that I was the only one saved for my family, that sparked something in me that he saved it for a reason. This is In Good Faith, listening to first-person experiences of faith and belief. On In Good Faith, it's our privilege to hear stories and accounts from believers told in their own words. Our hope is to listen with an open heart, celebrating the power of faith and belief and what those stories mean to the ones who tell them. I'm so happy to be speaking today with Mariama Kalon Olayemi. I wonder if you would give us just a quick background where you were born and maybe the very first teachings you heard as a child about God. I was born in Sierra Leone in West Africa, in Freetown, Sierra Leone. My parents were Muslims, so um, growing up, although I didn't grow up with them, but growing up as a little child, I went to mosques and churches at the same time. So um, I knew there was a God, but there was not that much seriousness in it because Sundays I would follow my church, my friends to church where they beat and dance, and then Fridays I would go to the mosque. In the Civil War, did you have a feeling there was a God to depend on, or, or did you feel like you were doing this all on your own at first? Well, at first I I I know because I learned through as I was taught with the Quran and I used to read the Bible too because I went to Christian schools. In fact that's what opened my heart to Christianity more instead of the religion of my parents because I can read the Bible because it's in English. So I knew there was a creator, there was a God, but during the war but not knowing this much as I know now, it was hard to believe there was a God because of all the terror, all the things that were going on. And so I had this question that if there was a God, why would he let all this thing happen when I knew God was supposed to be a loving person? Mm. So with him watching all these things happening to the human beings that he says he loves, it became a wonder for me. At what point did you actually feel that God was a loving God and that there might be a plan for you? Well, I went through a lot of hard things as a little child, just growing up, but just like any other, mostly African children. But the particular situation that helped me to know there was a God and that I need to connect with him, and I knew I was told I need to pray to a God, to this God. So when um, we... Where because the rebels, there was a lot of terrific things they were doing, not just killing, but torturing. So we were lined up for our arms to be chopped off after being molested. So we were in line, and then everybody was asking, where is this God? Everybody was thinking, what is he doing? Why would he let this happen? But then I just had something in my heart just told me, you talk to this God talk to this God, he will listen. And so I decided to take the test. So right in my heart with my eyes up in heaven whilst waiting for my time, just two people in front of me for my arms to be chopped off. That when in my heart I said, God, I know you are there. And I know that I'm not better than the people that are in front of me or the ones that have been, their arms have been chopped off. But I know there's something you can do, even at this moment. And I, with that prayer, a miracle happened because 
we had noise from the other village. People come running, shouting, the UN soldiers are coming to save you. The UN soldiers are coming. So when the rebels heard this noise, that they, and they know that the UN come to kill them, so they pick up their machetes and the arms and legs they chopped off. They run for their life. So that's how the two people in front of me and the rest behind me and myself were saved. And that very moment I knew then there is that God and I just need to talk to him. Mm. I just need to be personal with him and he will listen. Because I knew that nothing saved me from that situation except this God. Like you said in your prayer, I'm not better than the people in front of me in this line or behind me, but here I am. Did you, from that moment on, feel God was with you or was it something that came and went? Yeah, from that moment, I knew one thing I learned that moment that I can talk to him and that he can listen. Yeah, I knew that moment that I, I just need to talk to him. I just need to connect with him and he will listen. And so from that moment on, I started to look forward to what else this God has mm. for me. In a war situation surrounded by all these people, you, you know that death will come at any time. You don't know when, but because of the life, it gives you the hope to keep striving, to keep yourself alive. Because at least you know that you're alive and that's the hope. Did you share those beliefs or those experiences with others or or did other people, I mean, at church, would people talk about things like this? Yes. When we finally settle down, we meet and we talk about the experiences we've, what we've experienced, how people have experienced miracles and how things just happen, people being saved from maybe a torture from a rebel or so, in fact, that was how I get my conversion into, you know, the faith that I have, I mean, now, by sharing these wonders of God. You can just tell this story if you'd like, but I remember reading a story about, I don't know if they became your family, you were with someone, and they said, we really have nothing to give you, but we do have our church. Yes, that's um, the moment where my life started changing because, as I said, when I after leaving that situation, because my sister's lips were, legs were chopped off, and so the government soldiers took her away to a clinic that the government had for amputees. She passed away a few years later, but then we were left to go to Freetown and settle down. So that's when I, I found, as I was roaming through the streets of Freetown, the people I know, their homes were burned down. Then I met a friend whom I knew in high school, and this friend invited me to come stay at her family's home till I can relocate any of my family members. So faithfully I did. I went to stay with her, residing with other people who were seeking refuge. So one day we were sitting outside talking about the things that we've all differently gone through. Right in the midst of the group was an woman, a family, who were members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints as we were talking and the thing that amazes me about the woman is that she too, two of her beautiful daughters have been abducted by the rebels. Mm. They've been taken away as sex slaves. So that means she can either see them back dead or never see them again. 
which is she never saw them again. But this woman have a strong testimony and a hope in God that she will be able to see her daughters again. So we started talking and I told her what I have gone through. And that's when she told me that she has nothing to offer to me at that moment. But she would like to take me, invite me to the place that gives her hope to live and the courage and the joy to just look forward to be with her daughters again. So this place is where she invited me to come with her. And I opened my heart and I was willing to go with her. Tell me about your journey of faith continuing from there. Yeah, so when this woman invited me, I remember that she said they meet on Sundays and even though they don't have a they didn't have a building, a church building, but they meet in like a house and the members they meet because it was a time of war. You don't stay long anywhere you go because you don't know where the rebels will come and when they will come. But they managed to meet for at least one hour to strengthen one another through their testimonies and just see that they are all alive and they can meet. So I went that Sunday. I had, I remember the last clothes I had on and with my flip-flop, I washed it nicely. I was ready to go to church with her. So when we went and um, I saw all the people, those that were mourning, that have lost family members, those that, you know, have been molested, everybody have their heart, but they were happy to meet and just share this time with each other. So it just struck me that if these people that have gone through all this pain and heartache and still hoping to meet and praise and worship this God that others are having doubts in, then I should give it a try also. I should mm. try to find this hope, this thing that makes these people willing to come, even in this dear moment, to join hand in hand, to worship this God. So I sat there quietly and I was handed scriptures so that I can also read when I go home and I listen to the talks that they were giving. And that very moment, I remember the particular thing the lady was teaching about is about the scripture that gives us hope about the resurrection, where we will be with our loved one again, once again. And this creates a spark in my heart because I've never had, in fact, I've never had about life after this life. I thought mm. everything was done after here. So to know that Jesus Christ resurrected, that gives the chance to us to be resurrected and we'll be able to reunite again. That was my first hope. That's wow, this is amazing that <laughs> I could see my sister, even though her legs have been chopped off, she will be whole again. I will see my parents who have been killed. This just sparked something in me that, wow. Well, then that very moment, my heart opened that there's more to look forward to with this new congregation and this faith that I'm trying to belong to. So that's opened my heart and I helped me to be willing to look forward to more. I understand you also ended up becoming a missionary for the church. Yes, I, I finally joined the church through faith and courage because we didn't have missionaries at that time. So I had to walk six miles every day to get my discussion and come back and faithfully got baptized in a river because we had no baptismal font. We had to even hide through the bushes and get that done. And then <laughs> I, yeah, then I, I, 
decided I want to share this hope that I have found with others about God, that there is a God and he can save us and we can return back to him. We can be with our loved one again, just like this lady was willing to share with me. So I developed that love and that desire to go and share that message with others that our families can be together again. You had at this time, did you have a copy of some scripture that you could read that were your own? Yes, I had. A, in fact, a, they gave me the Book of Mormon, which was strange to me because I've never seen it before. But then I saw the name of Jesus Christ on the cover. That was sparked me that day. it's about Jesus Christ. So I read scriptures there that gave me hope that I can be with my families again and that all is not lost, especially a scripture I found in Second Nephi 4.26. It says, oh, then if I have seen so great things, if the Lord in his condescension unto the children of men have visited men in so much mercy, why should my heart weep and my soul linger in the valley of sorrows and my flesh waste away and my strength slacking because of mine affliction? So it's like, why should I be discouraged? Why should I despair? When God, the Savior, condescend, came among his children to heal them and i know he can heal me too so because of that there is no need to despair there is no need to lose hope so that gave me the courage to know that there's more to live for it just expand my hope just want me to do more mariama i have spoken with people for instance i spoke with an elderly dutch gentleman at one point who had been in indonesia in world war ii had been in a a sort of an internment camp, a concentration camp. And he told me in no uncertain terms, he said there could not be a God because this could not have happened if there was. And I'm wondering, what have you found in your heart either to let go of the injustice of things that have happened? Because there's so, so many people who have been through something that's just not fair. It's not just. And I don't know whether your journey has taken you to forgiveness or just letting go. Will you talk to me about your feelings about that? Yes. I know when you're in that situation, it's hard to believe there is a God. Because what we are taught in the scriptures that God is loving, God is kind, God cares about his children. And then to see that, okay, if this God is so loving and caring, why does he sit there he has the power to see everything. Why can't he just stop this for his children? But then um, when I gain my faith and my testimony of the things that have happened, I come to realize that God is there. He's a loving God. But then there is also the opposition who is Satan, the adversary, who wants to bring just destruction and he is the opposite of what God intends to do to his children. So he is also walking his own part, doing his own part of what he can do to bring people to where he is and getting to learn that God is there. I just need to choose which path I will take. Either I'll go with God or go with what Satan is trying to do. But then knowing that if I go with God, there's this promise, there's this hope that he has given me, especially in the scriptures, he said, I just need to forgive. 
and he will forgive who he will forgive. And I know it, it's not easy. I can't say it was easy. It was hard for me. But it took me a lot of prayers and a lot of fasting and a lot of just that giving it to him, saying, okay, God, this is in your care. I give this to you. Take it and work on me so that I can be loving and forgiving. I can let this go. And I know with that fervent prayer and that willingness, that desire, I know he sees my heart that it's something I wanted to do. Mm. I want to forgive. I want to be forgiven. And the way I can be forgiven is when I forgive. And those people were doing those things because they were influenced also by Satan. So this is the time for me to choose whether I will go with God or I will go with Satan after all those things that have happened. So those are the things and the fervent prayer and the fasting and the, you know, just hoping help me to know that if I follow God, then this is what would happen. And there is that hope that yes, I dipped into the scriptures. I read a lot of things that helped me to know that if I choose this day to serve God, there is hope because I'm alive. And especially seeing that I was the only one saved for my family, that sparked something in me that he saved you for a reason. And if he saved you from being your arms being chopped off and all these things, there is a reason behind this. Just like Esther, you were saved for this time, for such a time as this. So there is just something that I couldn't see at that time. I didn't know about because nobody told me. But just something in my heart because of the prayers and the hope that there's something behind this, that big picture of these things, and which I was hoping that I will see. And the only way I will be able to see that is keep that hope. Mm. Do what God wants me to do, like forgive. It's not easy, and it's hard to forget too, but I had to pray. It took a lot of prayer and fasting, and still there are things that I'm still working on, but so far I'm grateful because I don't hold any grudge hmm. anymore for anybody, nor anything. That what, grudge is gone. What does that make you feel to have let go or see that some of that is gone? Oh, it makes me so free, and it makes me so, it gives me less pain. Hmm. It gives me less pain and it gives me the joy to accept anything about Jesus Christ. That there is no doubt that as long as I'm just, it's just, it's a freedom. And it's, let's say, less stress, less depression. <laughs> because it's hurtful when you, especially when somebody has done evil to you, then you see they are still going with their life. They are doing the things that are normal and you are back there when you should have progressed but because of them you are just deteriorated it's hard it's a hard feeling mm. but letting go of that thing helped me know that okay my mind is free i don't have to worry about them anymore i just look have to look forward to the savior and whatever he has for me and look forward to what he has and that's what gives me the hope i think that's amazing how forgiveness actually frees us mm -hmm. it does what are the things that on a daily or a weekly basis help you feel like you're connected to God? Oh, it's amazing. The one day I look forward to, it's Sunday because I know it's the day I'm off work and the day I can go to serve God and, you know, just do the things that I will do 
to bring me more closer to him because it's the only day I have that I can go away from all these worries of the world, just rest my mind and be able to have a time to serve him. Although a daily basis, I try my best as often as I can to read the scriptures to give me more hope and pray to God. And I found out that he has been there. He has always been there for me because there are amazing things in my life, things that I would think of that I want to do, that I want to achieve. And he will send those angels, those people out of the blue in many other situations. They will be there. And I know he is the one doing it because by no means I knew these people before. But because I pray, I need that help. And I know he's listening. And because he's been there to listen to me, give me that hope that no matter what, as long as I ask, he's there to help. And so having that day to go and serve him, to praise him, to do the things that will bring me more closer to him always brings me joy. So I always look forward to those situations where I can come more closer to him. This may seem like a strange question, but because you've had to travel and leave your home and live in different places and you find yourself half a world away now, <laughs> you've met your husband from yeah. Nigeria, but yeah. you're both here in the U.S. Do you feel at home? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I I do miss home because that's where I grew up and that's where I was raised. A lot of things that, you know, especially when you're far away, there are a lot of food, especially, <laughs> that you can get here, which cannot be transported. I miss that. But being here, I feel at home. In fact, I don't know it's because I've opened my heart and I've, like I said, I've learned to forgive others. I have this thing where I try to look for the good in people more than what they will do to me that will be hurtful. I try to look more for the good that will come out of the relationship I make instead of wondering, oh, will this person hurt me mm. like I was hurt before? No, I look forward to, oh, I know that this person will treat me right. And with that in my heart, it helped me to open myself to people. And I found that with doing that, I make more friends. I make, I feel very at home. I have a lot of friends. I have a lot of people. And one amazing thing is that I've made so much friends that, so much that if say I want to travel to Houston now, I'll just go on Facebook and say, well, I'm coming to Houston. So, so city. <laughs> Somebody will come. Oh, come stay in my house. You don't have to pay the hotel. <laughs> so that's how much it has become home for me. And they will treat me right. They will pamper me. They will. It's amazing. Like my husband got stuck in Houston when he was coming to Utah. He got stuck there because of some issues that have happened with his transportation. And he called me. He said, I'm stuck in Houston. I don't know how to get to Utah. I don't have any money left. My bank card would not work. I just called a family I knew in Houston. The man left his work and met him at the airport, get his luggage, paid the Greyhound, booked him in. And he was able to come to Utah. You know, so mm. that family was able to take care of him because of these connections and these friends and this home that it has become for me. So I really feel good and I'm happy being here. I think it's remarkable how you have used adversity to open up rather than to close down. Mm -hmm. I'm just one of many, many, many <laughs> acquaintances and friends. Uh, and, and I've just been amazed at how you collect people. <laughs> yeah. 
I just opening. I just open my. I just open my heart to anything. So instead of focusing on the bad, focus on the good. See good in people. There's good in everybody. You know, there's good in everybody. It takes a while to see it and to get it. But and also one thing I have learned is that if you give good, you get good back. Mm. Because the more I find out, I open my heart to people. I cheerfully welcome them. I get it back. You know, even if they are going to hurt me in the end, I don't look to the hurt. I focus on the good and the present moment, what they are and who they are to me at that moment. And when they prove themselves, then I know that okay, that's how that person is. <laughs> and I don't judge one person. I don't judge a congregation because of one person. That's another thing. If you hurt me now, I know it's you. It's who you are. But it doesn't mean that's how your wife will be. That's how your children will be. No, it's that particular person I judge for that situation. Have you ever been put through difficulty? Because you were a believer, and because you were willing to talk about your faith, for instance, when your husband joined the church, he stopped taking bribes. Mm-hmm. That was a difficulty. I don't know if you've had something similar as you become a believer, or as you share if, if things are made difficult for you. Maybe not. Well, it's hard because when you become a believer, there's so many things you change mm-hmm. in your life. There's so many things you give heed to. There's so many things you accept. We have a lot of African traditions that you used to believe in. You have to give up all that a lot. Like we have this tradition where when somebody dies, they will have to make like a party. And that all costs money and all those things to entertain others. That's one thing I've given up. I prefer when somebody's alive and well, or when they're alive, give them what I can give them instead of when they're dead, I go make a big, we call it aujo. Mm-hmm. It's like gathering of people and celebrating. You know, I don't believe in those things anymore. So because of that, I'm losing all those things. And there's a lot of things where it's it humbles you. It takes a lot of humility to be in the things of Christ because there's a lot of things that you don't accept anymore. There are a lot of things that you don't watch, I don't know the word, collaborate with that you have to give up. Like sometimes you, we were trying to get our paperwork and everything to work out, but it doesn't work the way we wanted it. So I know if I wasn't, if I hadn't accepted Jesus Christ as my savior, I would have tried to do things in a way that would circumvent the Lord just to get what I need at that moment. But because I know that I have hope in this God. He has delivered me before. He has saved me. He has helped me. He will be there. This is just a test in my life. This is just a situation to see how I can still hold on to him. And with that hope, it's giving me the courage to hold on for that thing that I'm waiting for, for the time that God Mm. will give it to me. And doing everything legally, doing e- everything even legally. if it means a long way. If it's a, yeah, and it's taking a long in our life. It's really affecting us very hardly. Financially, it's tough. It's stretching us too much. But like I said, it because I have that hope in Christ that he has worked it for me and he will definitely work it. I just need to keep that hope. And that faith in him, not even on myself, but on in him, that it will work out in the long run. Anything else you want to talk about that I should have asked or that you would like to say? 
Well, um, for me personally, I know that, you know, in life, the world is full of challenges. The, there's so many things we are tried as individuals on everybody. I've learned that everybody has something they are working on, something that is hard in their life. I don't look at somebody and say, oh, their life is perfect because they dress nice, they have a nice car, they have a nice home. There's something in everybody, there's challenge that people are facing that I might not see, I might not know about. So because of that, all I'm asking God at this time is to give me that heart of compassion and empathy to see that thing to know that I just need to be kind. I just need to be grateful for what I have and be content. And at the same time, with that, I'm willing to always share to others to just hold on, to be grateful, to just not give up on God. Maybe that's the whole advice, just not give up <laughs> on God, that he is there and is listening. He knows our heartache. He knows our pains. And we are the ones that need to be strong to hold on to just not give up on him and things will work out mariama kalon olayami thank you for speaking in good faith you're welcome <laughs> thanks for tuning in to in good faith in the second half of the show we'll talk with members of mariama's church working today in sierra leone and we'll hear from a panel of listeners discussing some of the ideas she brought up back in a moment with more of in good faith This is In Good Faith, listening to first-person accounts and stories of faith and belief. In the first half of the show, we spoke with Mariama Kalon Oleyemi, originally from Sierra Leone in West Africa. That got us thinking about her faith. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, also known as Mormons, LDS, or Latter-day Saints, in Sierra Leone today. That's a Latter-day Saint congregation singing in Bo in Sierra Leone. To find out about the church today, I spoke with President and Sister Kevin and Toy Clausen, who head the Sierra Leone Freetown Mission. We were able to establish a phone connection while they were in Bo, and I asked them about the numbers of Latter-day Saints in a country which is about 70% Muslim and 30% Christian. There are more than 15,000 members in 67 congregations around the country. It's growing rapidly, very well accepted, and our conversion mirrors the population in general. 70 to 80 percent of our converts are from a Muslim background. It sounds like, in spite of there being those two majority religions, they actually coexist pretty well. Very well. In fact, that, that's kind of a point of pride among the leaders and members of, of the religions of we can coexist. There is a sense of unity within a country of religious values help make us a better country. By cooperating together, we have better religious values as well as a better country. Noted with great sadness in some parts of Africa, clashes between Muslims and Christians have been a heartache to everyone. We have been so blessed in this country that there is not a a mistrust between cultures. In fact, very early on, a member of the church said, Sister Clausen, wherever you find a Christian church, very close by, you will find a mosque. And we have found that to be true. They consider themselves 
community partners, neighbors. And as a Christian church is being built, very frequently, a short time later, you'll see a mosque and vice versa. There is not a competition, rather a compliment. And that is unusual in the world. And we are very grateful that that exists here in Sierra Leone. What do you see as far as healing happening? And is religion a part of that? Because of the post-Civil War efforts by people for reconciliation and coming together, the Civil War really was fomented from outsiders as opposed to a deep inside schism. And therefore, the healing was not as tough as it might have been in, in other circumstances. At this point, there's not a feeling of cultural remembrance of the Civil War. People have almost universally wanted to move on. As outsiders, we see some of the results with the amputees who were in both sides of the conflict maimed because of political and, and evil, violent actions. But other than that, there's really no residual discernible activity or thought that comes into uh, our visibility. Clearly, the country is interested in moving forward, not looking backward. You mentioned 67 different Latter-day Saint congregations. What is the process of setting that up when there are a few members in a particular place? We see the Lord moving the hearts of people in preparation for that. Last month, there were three congregations created in one small area of the country, all close together within 10 miles of each other, each one with between 50 and 100 people attending church every week, uh, ranging from three members in one to about 16 members in another, with all the rest being interested non-members or investigators who are converted but not yet baptized because we don't have an official organization there. We do now. People have been prepared for some time, and it was a matter of just getting the process verified and moving forward, growing quickly. My husband and I have been in Africa for nearly 20 years. The thing that surprised me the most was how warm and friendly the people were. I am not just saying these people are friendly because we're mission presidents here. And I think it's partly because of the things which they have suffered, hmm. that they are very ready and open to new ideas. President Kevin Clausen and uh, Sister Toy Clausen, thank you so much for speaking with us. Thank you, Steve. It was lovely to speak with you and blessings upon your work and all those good people who are striving to help us become closer together. Patience and waiting on God. Forgiveness and becoming free of the burdens of the past, even those imposed by others. Living an open-hearted life. Do those ideas resonate with you? We asked a group of listeners to share their thoughts and feelings after hearing the interview. Cecil Clark made his career in human behavior, studying people doing what they do. Emily Paxman is an avid Netflix watcher, soccer fan, cheese aficionado, who studied Arabic at BYU and now works in healthcare IT consulting. Peg Woodruff is a mother of six, grandmother of seven, with a degree in acting and an ability to cook for anyone with any specialty diet. Pierre Dartaganov makes his career in sales as a life insurance agent. He's from Haiti. It was very interesting to me, Mariama, as she was becoming converted, much of what she said in the conversion was just kind of crystallizing what she already believed, letting go of problems and Maybe she already had those, those feelings within her. Let me give you a specific example of things that were interesting to me as I listened to that. She said, I need to forgive. Then I began thinking about my own life and uh, the extent to which I did that, and I started to realize that I could, in my life, forgive and yet withhold love. And those are two separate things. And it was 
warming to me to hear her be able to say she let go and she let go of all of the feelings which which, uh, would have been difficult. You know, I think that's amazing that those are two separate things, forgiving and yet withholding love. And she has learned to forgive and give love. So that was impressive to me. Another one was that um, maybe that's just me and aging. Aging for her seemed to be a way of tempering beliefs. I've noticed in my own life that I spend more time these days building up people than judging them. And I wonder if part of that's a, a conversion to a god or just aging. I just don't know. But it's a real phenomenon. Part of that, I think, speaks to what you were saying about forgiveness and being open to love as, as a two different concepts. As she got older, whether this was the result of aging or a result of God in her life, but you know, she talked about looking for the good in people and coming to the relationship, expecting that these are good people who will treat me right, and that I'm going to be open to them and be looking for friendships and be offering my friendship in return. It it reminded me of a friend I made when I was here a student at BYU and in the Arabic program. I was over doing the study abroad about the time that the Syrian refugee crisis was really ramping up. And there was a group of teenagers who were Syrian refugees who I became friends with. And what was striking to me is I would get upset because my blow dryer wasn't working and so my hair was slightly off and I would kind of think, well, now I don't want to see anybody or do anything for the rest of the day. And then I would go hang out with them and they would be open and laughing and having a good time despite some of these traumas that they had endured. And it was always impressive to me that they were still being open and friendly, and that was that was their way of building hope in themselves and sharing that love with others. And what she talked about as she came here and made new friends really reminded me of that experience. You know, there was so much she didn't say about the things that she went through. I'm glad she wasn't a lot more graphic, but talking about being assaulted and then having your arms chopped off or your legs chopped off. And yet here is a woman who is happy, and yes, she says she doesn't forget, but she has been able to rise above that. And I think that's amazing to be able to rise above such trauma and such difficulty, horrible things that happened. Yeah, I think she was able to rise above it. I've never been placed in a position where my limbs have to be chopped or uh, been devoid of liberty uh, and such. But similarly, there are things in that happens in history, which is kind of equivalent to what she's gone through. And I think it's her transformation of knowing God and then allowing this God to take root in her. And I think elevate her to be able to open her heart and to to forgive. And that's just very remarkable. Let me pick up on a statement you made. She did say we were molested. Yes. If I understood correctly, she was from Muslim parents. So she was probably of that persuasion. And that uh, triggered a thought to me. The Buddhist, very different group of people, when they're talking about uh, things like this, One of their beliefs is abstain from evil deeds, live in peace with each other, and honor rules and parents and the elderly. I thought that um, 
in her feelings of abstaining that she was able to capture this quite well. And you can see those two religions both support the feelings about living a righteous life. I think she discovered that, and I thought it was interesting that the Buddhists also see that. What did you all think about this idea? I mean, building off of that, Cecil, of multiple religions teaching these great ideas, the theme that I kept coming back to as she told her entire story was the role the community played in her conversion and her understanding of God, whether it was attending the mosque on Friday for prayers, going to church with friends, then using the community as a way to work through their traumas, and then later on to build up their spirit and their hope. That was something that really stood out to me as such a critical part of her journey and coming to understand God of, of the community being such a support. Did, is that something that stood out to anybody else? Absolutely. As a matter of fact, I was thinking about that gathering component. She talked about the people that she went to who were gathering together, and they were all experiencing some pretty hard times during that war, and yet they found joy in the gathering. And so I think the community is really an important component of her story. Picking up on that, she said, we have nothing to give you, but we have our church. When she said that, I was thinking about all the people who have churches and what they give through those. I was thinking of the Palestinians who are very humble and poor people, about all they have to give is their church and their beliefs. The same with the Buddhists who uh, daily try to get alms from people and who are supported by them. So there are a lot of religions, in my mind, who just give what the religion gives, and that's all they have. That's all they have, and I noticed it in her life. And they give themselves. That's another part of that community that is so important in developing that faith. And, you know, she talked about hope again and again and again. And in such difficult circumstances, I'm sure that hope is what everybody was seeking. If you don't mind me chiming in on this topic, it appears or it seems that although she had that Muslim base background, background, she already had a profound belief in God. Transitioning to being a Christian wasn't that tough because of that belief. Similarly, in my life, As I look back when I was a teenager, I grew up in the Catholic faith, and transitioning to another Christian faith wasn't hard, particularly because of the, lack of better words, for the um, ideas, and that was imbued in me by my grandparents and parents about God. So it was pretty interesting. Let me ask, Pierre, is it your sense then that it would not be that tough for any human being to begin to believe in God? Um, I wouldn't say it wouldn't be tough, but uh, in the New Testament, I can't exactly remember, I think the Savior said, my sheep knows who I am, and they hear my voice, and they follow me. So therefore, if truly any group of people, black or white, male or female, it doesn't really matter, that if you truly have Christ inscribing your heart. And when a message come about Christ that is authentic, you'll know and identify with it. And I guess that's that's where I see the similarities. 
Well, it feels like part of that is God meets you where you are. So to answer that question, from my perspective, I, I don't necessarily think that going from zero to 60 is going to be the, this instant transition. But what I do think I, I learned from her and her life's journey is that God found her wherever she was, whether it was in a mosque or whether it was in the Bible just because it happened to be in English. And so maybe going from point A to point Z is a difficult long journey, but going from A to B and B to C and C to D, that's something where God meets us where we are, gives us what we need in that moment, and then helps us take the next step and move forward. I think you're absolutely right. My first experience with God was when I was about six years old, and I had a special dog that I <laughs> that I loved, and he disappeared. It was a stuffed dog, and I cried nightly. No one had taught me to pray. We did not have a religious household. But somewhere in the being of me, I knew that there was some nice grandfather somewhere where I couldn't see him, and I talked to him at night, and I said, please help me find my dog. That was the beginning of my faith, because I did find him. And so that was the point A for me. And I think everybody has a point A and a point B and a point C. It just comes at different times of life. She made a statement, death will come at any time. I was thinking about that in my own life, and uh, I just wondered if there's some sort of relationship between the way a person kind of psychologically prepares for death and the depth of the belief that they have in something. For example, I wonder if earlier in her life, before her conversion, she had ever felt about death differently than the way she's feeling about it now. Well, she had probably seen a great deal of death during that war. The probability of it probably was foremost in her mind. You know, am I going to die today? Am I going to die tomorrow? What's our sense, though, when we haven't seen all that carnage? Well, just to chime in, I think for me, she's from West Africa, and I'm from Haiti, so therefore we do share some type of a lineage. <laughs> the first time I saw death was when I was in Haiti, and I was a little boy. I remember I was just, I'm not sure if I was going to school or somewhere, but I was just, I took a detour of some sort, and I came across this window, and I just went and looked, and I looked down. And there was this little coffin, and this little girl just laid in there, probably about five years old or so. I was so shocked. Had it ever occurred to you that children could die? I never thought about it. And for the first time in my life, I'm like, oh, I guess death is real. And of course, in Haiti, um, similarly, not to the extent of Sierra Leone or things like that, but they do have a lot of deaths in, in Haiti. And so, so is it your sense that she was more desensitized to death at that point, more, more ready, if it were? Maybe just more realistic. Yeah, yeah I, I would say that. And also because of the higher power that she believes in, that gives a certain comfort about death. And I think for me, it's the same way. I'm not afraid of dying. But my people, when someone dies, oh, I mean, it's really hysteric, yeah. major hysteria when someone dies, because it's something that they do not understand. Mm. Well, that was what really surprised me, was that she talked about learning about the resurrection and this afterlife so late in her faith journey. That shocked me, because... Maybe I'm just a, a terrible, horrible, selfish person, but, you know, as I think about death and the afterlife, I almost feel like, 
oh, well, I'll believe in God and I'll do the things he wants because there's this thing that's in it for me at the end. I, I get to be reunited with people who have died. I get to to be free of suffering. And it, it's almost a selfish relationship. And it, it's terrible to say that. But as I'm thinking about it, <laughs> but that's, it's extremely it's, honest. <laughs> it's, that's that's part of how I, I think through that. And that was what was so striking to me was the fact that that came so late that she had already developed this relationship and this trust in God and this hope and this love. And then she found out what was in it for her. And I think I could really learn a lesson from that. And mm. sure, I think sometimes when someone is different from us, we tend to make a judgment of what this person might type of belief this person might have or not have. And we don't know that literally God loves all his children regardless what background, where they come from. And he's imbued them with certain attributes that um, you may not be aware of. And yet that is cultivated in them. So beware, I guess, how we judge. And I, I was impressed as she spoke that she had that quality. She said she looked for the good. She was able to trust people. And I think it might be difficult to trust people after going through the things that she had gone through. But she learned to see the good in them first and to assume that they could be trusted. Pushing that one step further, is it possible then that when we look at a person, we either have the choice of seeing that person compassionately or blamingly? We always have that choice, I suppose. And that somehow, over the course of her religious experience, somehow she began to ease out of seeing people blamingly and and trying to see them compassionately. That's kind of coming back to this business that we started at. Well, it's part of opening up. up. It's part of opening up instead of closing in and, and being a smaller person, opening your heart and seeing... And what would that require on my my part in terms of loving? It's, it strikes me that it's not very easy to open up if I'm if I'm fairly unloving, withholding love, and just uh, privatizing my life so much. What was impressive to me was that she just let it all hang out in that sense. You know, there was there was an optimism about her. Her feelings once once that she became converted, and you notice when she started out, she started very guarded. In you know these are the things that are happening, and then I ran into the belief in God, and then these kinds of things happened to. Mm-hmm. That was to, interesting. To what extent do you feel that her developing a relationship with God and developing love for Him and feel, feeling love in return influenced that ability to be open to make that choice? There you have it. There you have it. What do we have? Well, she just told us that the key to this opening up was the developing of of a relationship with God. And I tend to agree because a relationship with God is very personal. (laughs) And we, all of us, are at a different level on that journey, on that spectrum, which opens up a large capacity. Now, for example, when she was asked um, how difficult was it to adjust here in a total new, different community, Mm -hmm. exactly, leaving, and I'm sure probably she was just happy to just uh, leave that chaos. But I myself, being from Haiti, and sometimes there are certain cultural 
part that I miss. Like we have some great food, and she some, mentioned the food too, yeah. <laughs> as I recall. Some food is big for people. Definitely, very um, personal. It's the smell, the landscaping, and so forth. It's huge to leave behind. Having all these、uh, memories, but on the same token, we are here in a place of. Liberty, freedom, where my limbs are not gonna be chopped off if I express an opinion, or maybe are we at that point? <laughs> so,、um, yeah. The interviewer asked her how he could tell that she was connected to God, and I started thinking about like that. If I walk downtown in a given day or somewhere, is there anybody who could look at me and say this person could be connected to a God of some kind? And then she began to talk about, you know, all the kinds of things that she did. But I just wonder if there's something in the countenance, something the way they behave, they talk that just says this person probably has a sensitivity. As I look at her picture, I can see a glowing countenance. She's she's beautiful, but she's more than beautiful. You can tell that that hope and that happiness resides within her, and that's just from a photo. I think you can tell. Well, she used the phrase, you know, sharing the wonder of God. I feel like if I look at that picture myself, that's the phrase that that I would use. Is there is somebody who exudes the wonder of God, and from such beginnings, it's amazing. I wonder how she would handle some traumas right now with that belief in God. Maybe not the intense ones that she had earlier. Well, I bet she's. What's her down days look like? She hasn't. She didn't talk about traumas that came after finding God, but I bet there have been some. I mean, haven't we all? And how do we handle them? How operative is our faith in the things that happen to us day by day? Do we look for hope? Do we have hope? Can we open up instead of close down? Can we find healing, which evidently she has found a great deal of healing、you、in know, the faith that she found? It's interesting. You, you listen to a episode like this and a life story like this in miniature. And you kind of feel dwarfed, trying to feel guilty. Like,、mm-hmm. why shouldn't I have experienced some of these traumas so that I could be stronger in these various areas? Know, how do you get over that kind of feeling? I wonder. I wonder. You know, this has been bringing up to me a book that I'm reading currently called Unbroken, about、uh. a World War II soldier who was in a Japanese. He was a POW. And as I read, I mean, it's horrible thing after horrible thing that happens to this man. And the thing that astonished me is that he keeps praying. He's not a religious person per se, but he keeps praying that the Lord will get him through it. And he keeps praying, and he keeps praying. And I thought, by now, why hasn't he just given up hope that God has forgotten me? The, the horrible things just keep happening. But he just keeps praying. I haven't read the last of the book yet. I can hardly wait to find out how it comes out. But、um, wow, just keep praying. I think there was、uh, when interviewer asked Maryama the same question, where I guess、um, in Europe that soldier, after seeing so many wars, and he didn't think there was a god because why would a god allow such atrocities? And yet you have Maryama going through what she went through, and yet that. 
give her more hope <laughs> into our God. And similarly, I think a few months ago, I don't know if, if you want to call this a crisis of faith or sorts, I was going through a, a hard time where I was looking back in history, uh, certain things that my people had gone through, and I was questioning why did the Lord or God allow these things to occur? And I was kind of upset. <laughs> but um, knowing, as she said, knowing Christ, knowing uh, what he'd gone through, because if I were the last man on earth, Jesus Christ would still would have come, I feel. And and he'd gone through what he'd gone through for all of us. And I just um, left it at his door. And having that faith that he will make things all right, although I do not understand it. You know, Mariama talked about that, too. She talked about waiting, willing to wait for certain things that she knows the Lord could do for her but hasn't done yet. Have you found that sometimes you just kind of have to put things on the back burner and wait? Uh, well, um, a lot of things sometimes. <laughs> a lot have, of things. <laughs> the inescapable question on that, the follow-up, is do you think her difficult life early on had provided her with some patience that we don't have, that other people without that kind of trauma don't have? Uh, for me, I think that we all go through certain things in our lives. It doesn't matter who we are. Eventually, if we do allow the saving grace of the Savior, um, that light to come into our hearts, eventually it will soften us. And then it will help us to go through things we, by our own selves, cannot go through, but to what he can um, and I think that's basically where it all boils down to. It's that hope. Sometimes people get hardened by their troubles. Sometimes people get softened. And I think she's one that came out soft and willing to wait and trust and hope and open up. That's our time for today. Thanks for our panelists, and especially to Mariama Colon Oleimi for generously sharing her story, her thoughts, and her wisdom. We hope you found value in today's conversation, and we welcome your thoughts and ideas about the program. Reach out to us anytime via email at ingoodfaith at byu.edu. I'm Stephen Cap Perry. I hope you'll join with us again soon, right here, In Good Faith. <laughs>